Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox. I want you calm. I want you cool. Hi, I'm Daniel Dresner, and in our current environment, self-control is an asset. Welcome to Space the Nation, where we look at science fiction through the lens of world systems theory and symbolic interactionism. Today, we'll be talking about Event Horizon, a completely fun movie that I totally love. <laughs> in the next few weeks, we'll be talking about The Last Policeman, and we might do a foundation episode, a second foundation episode. Why might we do a second foundation episode, Dan? Do we have anything because... left to say? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do, Anna. And even if we've said it before, it bears repeating. Psychohistory is dumb. It's a dumb, stupid construct that makes no sense. And I really want to go on a rant about it, but not here. I've got to stay calm and I've got to stay cool. Yeah, got to stay calm. Got to stay cool. Self-control is an asset, Dan. Don't forget. There we go. All right. Uh, and also, go. I will remind listeners that The Expanse is starting back for its final season. And this podcast will revert to an Expanse recap show. Yes, we will. We have lots of ideas and are always taking suggestions. There's a few different ways you can do that. The most immediate and direct way is to reach us via Twitter, where I am at Anna Marie Cox and he is at Dan Dresner. We also have a Patreon page. There's so much you can do on that Patreon page. Dan, would you want to take people through that list? Well, sure. I mean, the most obvious thing, Anna, you can do on that Patreon page is become a patron. And, you know, I mean, otherwise, it's not going to be that much fun to look at the Patreon page. And then once you become a patron, oh, Anna, the worlds you will see, um, you know, there will be swag. It's full of stars, Dan. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I was going for a Dr. Seuss, oh, the places you'll go thing, but like this works too, yes. Um, you will get swag. You will get early access to podcasts. You will get access to our Discord channel, which is very funky and uh, lively and all of that. You will get access to our monthly AMAs, which we normally do on the first Saturday of every month. And once we get to 250 patrons, we are more than halfway there, we will do another special patrons-only episode on a topic chosen by you, the patrons, since you are primarily the people listening to this, <laughs> whatever you want, and we will do it. <laughs> We'll actually probably have a vote on it like we did last time. Uh, yes, for, if course. you're interested, yes, yes. if you're new to the show, our last patron episode was 28 Days Later, and mm -hmm. it was fun. It has some ranting in it. Not every episode <laughs> has rants. That one has a, has a kind of classic rant. You'll know it's a it classic you, on a rant. You know, like, you'll I, know I, it when you hear it. That's all yes. I'll say. You'll know it yes. when you hear it. If you're already a patron or, you know, can't afford the scratch right now, another great way to support the show costs nothing rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts and of course tell your friends and neighbors and maybe just mm -hmm. tweet about how much you love the show that would also mm -hmm. be good dan why are we talking about event horizon <laughs> i think we're doing it for two reasons anna one is and our our listeners don't know this i like seeing you smile and you smile a lot when we talk about this film <laughs> but you know in other ways really this movie is just like dennis villeneuve's dune <laughs> in that they are both available on HBO Max, at least for the rest of this month. And beyond that, they really have very little in common with each other. Uh, Anna, why are we doing this film? This movie is in my personal headcanon of comfort horror, which <laughs> is a phrase that doesn't make sense to a lot of people. I would actually say Alien is another one of my comfort horror movies. And it's a horror movie where it's still scary to me. I mean, mm -hmm. this movie is completely creepy. I've seen it probably a dozen times, and it, I still find it very creepy. Yeah. But it also is familiar, and I just thoroughly enjoy both of the movies like 
I cannot believe that this movie has a 28 on Rotten Tomatoes. I just <laughs> cannot believe it. And I know, Dan, you you like this movie, too. I do on it. In fact, there's a way in which I like Alien better. Obviously, Alien is the better film by far. But this movie made me laugh more. Now, the question <laughs> is, did it mean to make me laugh more? But like, this is one of the stranger movies I've ever seen, because I agree with you. There are legit scary things in this film. Um, things that I do not care to, to revisit in my brain. Mm-hmm. But then there are also elements of this film that that are, I think, uh, unintentionally. Let's go with yes. preposterous. Preposterous is, is good. good. Yes, yeah. preposterous is a good way of putting it. This is, let me put this way, Alien is a near-perfect film. You think it's a perfect film. I think it's a near-perfect film. You know, they're, they're great. This is not a perfect film, but this is perfectly fun. It is sort of familiar to Alien and also the plot. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and it was inspired by Alien, let's say. <laughs> and I think of my love for this movie as I, I love the original of something. Like, I love, love, love Alien. And it's like loving an original song and then also loving the weird Al Yankovic version of that song. <laughs> but genuinely, yes, yes. But genuinely yeah. loving it, like genuinely yeah, yeah. finding like pleasure in it. So mm-hmm. I'm really glad I had a chance to watch this again. I probably watch it. Uh, every couple years, every year, maybe. I, I, I don't know why I enjoyed it so much this this time through, but I enjoyed it more than usual. I mean, this movie, I think, did have a second life on, on sort of basic cable, which I never watched because I have to admit it was never something appealing. But I honest when I say thank you for making me watch this because it, it added to my life is okay. the way I would put it. So, Anna, let's get to the story behind the story of Event Horizon. The only element I will add to this story behind the story is that I will confess to interest because I did not realize until seeing the opening credits that the director of this film is Paul Anderson. Now, to be very clear... This is not the Paul Anderson who made Boogie Nights uh, or Magnolia. (laughs) This is the Paul W.S. Anderson uh, who held most of the Resident Evil films. And that makes a lot more sense, frankly, (laughs) even though this film is better, actually, than most of the Resident Evil films. Otto, what can you tell us? As usual, I can tell you too much. Anderson is why this movie got made. Uh, he, he made Mortal Kombat, which is some people actually consider that something of a camp classic as well. I've actually not seen it. But he was hot off Mortal Kombat. This got rushed into production when Titanic got delayed, which I find <laughs> fascinating to, to think of these two things being thought of as sort of on the same level. It's all uh, connected, Anna. <laughs> although it is all connected because the original plot, the ship that got, you know, Event Horizon was a cruise ship. And not a military rescue, which would have added an interesting sort of social commentary layer, I think, to to this movie. This reminds me, (laughs) at some point, we do need to talk about that HBO uh, series. Um, I think it's called Avenue 5, the one with Hugh Laurie, which is about a cruise ship that is in trouble, although it's it's definitely played for laugh. Let's put it that way. Anderson kept the haunted house in space idea from the original script. Although, you know what? He looked at it and thought it might be a little like Alien, huh? And so he decided to bring in what Wikipedia refers to as uh, elements of other moderately successful horror films. The Haunting and The Shining, which I could think Uh, of other ways to describe those movies than moderately successful, personally. I Um, wouldn't use the word moderately around either of those films is the (laughs) way I would put it. Yes. Pretty terrific movies. The movie is pretty visually stunning. I think mm-hmm. we can agree. Uh, and the the Event Horizon ship is actually, some of its visuals are based on the Notre Dame Cathedral. 
You will not be surprised to hear that the actors on this film uh, found the physical set rather disturbing. Because it it is. It is very disturbing. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) There is a 130-minute version of this movie, which I do not care to see for multiple reasons. I don't understand, Anna. You're a completist. Why would you not want to watch the 130-minute version of this film? Which which currently, I believe, films in it, it comes oh. in at a very tight, like, 96 minutes or something. One of the reasons I love it is it's 90 minutes long. The 130-minute yeah. version, apparently, one of the places that's greatly expanded is the bloody orgy scene. Which, yeah, we'll get to that in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> which you see, I, I believe, less than 10 seconds of in the movie, and that is too much. <laughs> that that is a lot. I well, it's actually the perfect amount. It's the perfect amount. In, to be fair, I, I I don't. I think they actually showed us just enough. That's the way. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. It was a commercial and critical failure. Uh, grossed forty two million dollars uh, on a sixty million dollar production, and it did have a second life. And so somebody wanted to do the completest version. They couldn't find the extra footage at first. And I swear to God, I I read this in Wikipedia, so it must be true. It had been stored in a Transylvania salt mine? (laughs) Question mark? (laughs) You know, bravo, world Wikipedia editors. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know. And I guess the footage that they eventually found was obviously stored someplace else that wasn't a haunted Transylvania salt mine. And Dan, guess what? I have one more thing to add about, about this movie. Yes. Uh, do you tell, Anna? There's going to be a TV show. Of course there is. <laughs> of course there is, because we all, live in Adorno's world. <laughs> uh, all IP has happened before, and all IP will happen again. And I think that is about all I can say. Well, actually, I'm going to add one more thing, because it's so mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. This movie has a pretty amazing cast, especially considering the places where it's not amazing. And the cast includes Jason Isaacs. And we will talk more about this, but there is a scene in which uh, his body has had things done to it that are particularly unpleasant. And uh, he loved that piece of FX and wanted to take it home with him, which (laughs) tells me something about Jason Isaacs. I'm not sure I wanted to know. Yeah, I was saying, I thought, so, you know, this is one of your boyfriends, I know. And, like, I'm not sure yeah. this is a detail in which the relationship is going to yeah. to last as a result. You know, we just meet for drinks. Like, Very, it's fair not, enough. It's, fair I don't enough. go home with him. Okay. Because <laughs> who knows what else he has there. And I have to say, Anna, the, the, the Transylvanian salt mine, and given the, the nature of the scenes that were cut, leading me to wonder, is there, like, some mine somewhere that actually stores all the the lost footage from porn films. <laughs> like, I, I, I kind of like that. That does seem like a demented B movie that could be made about breaking into that as well. I'm just yes. putting that out there, you know, for Hollywood State. All right, Dan, we should actually talk about the movie now. Uh, do you want to take us through the plot? I will be happy to. Let's start with act one, which is when someone drops the ball, they get the call. It's the year 2047, and manned space exploration in the solar system is a thing. In 2040, the ship Event Horizon, which is curiously named, sailed past Neptune and then just disappeared. Seven years later, it reappears around Neptune. So, the rescue ship Lewis and Clark is sent to get it. The crew consists of Captain Miller, second-in-command Lieutenant Stark, Pilot Smitty, Medtech Peters, Engineer Justin... Dr. DJ and rescue technician Cooper. Accompanying them is Dr. William Weir, who designed the Event Horizon. 
Once in Neptune, Weir briefs the crew. The Event Horizon was actually testing a gravity drive that would produce faster-than-light travel by bending space-time. Everything was going fine, but then they turned it on and were not heard from again until now. Hey, Dan, did they bend the laws of physics and expect nothing to happen? Sorry. That's one of the lines in the movie that is pretty great, I have to say. Yes. Like, one of the like crew, like a laborer says yes <laughs> with the wisdom that comes from working with one's hands did you bend the laws of space and time and expect nothing to happen so okay. as it turns out there was a small snippet of audio that the nsa heard and weir plays the distress call to the crew which seems to consist mostly of agonized screams and someone grunting in latin i don't, I don't even know to where to begin with this setup Okay, that's not true. I do know where to begin. I guess I have two things. First, did the UK become part of the United States by 2047? Because an awful lot of this American crew has British accents, including Jason Isaacs and Joey Richardson. Second, when they play the tape of someone screaming, could at least one crew member have perhaps suggested that they had a bad feeling about the mission? You know, Dan, this is the point at which... If you have a problem with that, just stop watching the movie. Like, because things are are gonna get worse in terms of you know believability in every way imaginable. Yes, (laughs) yes, things are gonna get worse in every way imaginable. We know that. Um, There's no reason that they take it so stoically. I, I mean, I I do think it's a missed opportunity for someone to be like, huh, you know, like. Sounds like uh, wasn't such a good trip. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know? I, literally, what happens is he plays the audio tape. You really do hear some pretty agonized screams. Yeah. And what's the response? Wait, I believe that was Latin. Yeah, I mean, that is actually also kind of great. Uh, and yeah. I also am curious, I guess hell is Catholic. Because, like, why the fuck would it be Latin? You know? Like, what interdimensional being is like, you know, let's go with Latin. How about that? <laughs> like, we'll just... And also, this is something that we've... I don't think we've talked before. But... It is a criticism of supernatural um, genre that I, I I find somewhat it's it's a convincing criticism. Why do the evil beings in all of these movies, films, TV shows, whatever, go around warning people that they're evil? Like, <laughs> <laughs> there's always lots of hints, right? Like, you know, you know what? At some point, we are going to have to do Cabin in the Woods. And, yeah. and maybe it's like a cabin in the woods thing where there has to be some element of choice, yeah. you know, because yeah. there's not. In other words, if they don't do it, then by the supernatural laws of supernature, they can't actually, you know, damn the people right. for eternity. The last thing I'll say is that one thing that this movie does very well is, again, especially considering everything else about it and the, the script not being great and the plot not being totally sensical, is there's a lot of showing and not telling, which yes. we talk about all the time and it's That's because true. it has this sneaky awesome cast including not just jason isaacs but Lawrence fishburne who nails it fucking nails it mm-hmm. like you if you have any interest at all and you can get over that first scene <laughs> watch this movie just for Lawrence fishburne he's amazing i will i will add here that it's interesting that like he did this i think only one or two years before he did the matrix and he's a commander in both films and they're Mm -hmm. two completely different performances and he's great in both of them yeah it's just incredibly well done yeah this one i actually think has more layers (laughs) (laughs) actually you might be right i think that's true that's a fair point Uh, it's a slightly more complicated character yeah but 
only more complicated because of Fishburn. Like, yes. he just manages to put some layers in there. The script does not put the layers in there. Right. But speaking of the script, we should move on. Yes, let's get to Act 2. Let's board the damned ship. After a lot of shouting, truly the most shouting I've seen in, in uh, a space movie, the Lewis and Clark manages to dock with the much bigger event horizon. Boarding the ship, they find a lot of viscera and a few corpses. Justin checks out the engineering and sticks his hand in the gravity drive because, sure, why not? They're space goo. The first thing you're going to do is put your hand in it. He gets sucked into that very liquid goo. Because Justin is tethered to the Lewis and Clark, the cable rips a gash in that ship's hull. While they're repairing it, everyone moves from the Lewis and Clark to the event horizon, which has now been powered up. Cooper rescues Justin, who is in a catatonic state. More bad news, they only have enough oxygen to last another 20 hours. You're not going to believe this, Anna, but while on the event horizon, the crew starts to experience some strange shit. Okay, they start to hallucinate. Peters... It's true, they do. I know. They do. Although the ship is strange enough, you know, they could not hallucinate. It would still be pretty fucking creepy, but they hallucinate. That's, That's fair. Peters sees her sick son, who she left on Earth. Miller sees a burning man. Weir sees his wife with her eyes gouged out. Stark suggests that the ship itself is alive and is treating the crew like it's an infection. Anna, this film is the weirdest mix of cheeseball and quality <laughs> that I think we've talked about in this podcast. Uh, the set design was undeniably quality, however, particularly the engine room and the computer core. But I will also add that within the engine room, uh, there are, there were spikes in the engine room, which made me laugh every time. And I am actually legit amazed that no one got impaled by any of those spikes throughout the entire film. Yeah, it's a real violation of the Chekhov spikes rule. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> someone, in, what's really mysterious is someone does get impaled. But not on those spikes. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's a spiky misdirection, you know, like, it's a, yeah. It's a, yep, spike misdirection. Yeah. I agree about the set design and that being one of the highlights of the film. The The engine room is intensely spooky, and I would say that's because it manages to combine both sci-fi elements, like high-tech, mm-hmm. and it seems somehow ancient and mystical, because it does feel more Lovecraftian than it feels like sci-fi, really. So in some movies we see, there's a lot of trouble given to, to making like a, a science explanation for something. And that mm-hmm. happens. Mm-hmm. That happens in this movie. But that Lovecraftian element, I think, is actually what makes it super spooky. Yes. And I think Sam Neill manages to play his character as though there might be something slightly I don't want to use the word other well, I guess otherworldly would be the right word um that he's he's done something that it's like is, he sold his soul or something <laughs> you might say but it really he, he manages to give it that vibe no, you know no. that that something is going on here that's not just you know science like it, it's it is mystical I do think that don't touch the weird space goo uh, should be something that more plots at least again acknowledge you should not do that that that's a bad idea i'm gonna go further than that (laughs) i would argue that all space ships should have that on a plaque at somewhere in the ship it's just just, never never touch the weird space goo with your hands uh, like do something else with it but like you know just don't touch it 
And you hit upon it. This is a mixture of cheese and quality. And I happen to have seen a couple of other cheesy movies lately. Actually, well, we just talked about Waterworld. And for the (laughs) Stephen King podcast, I do sometimes, we just talked about A Return to Salem's Lot, which has nothing to do with the original Salem's Lot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we agreed Waterworld is terrible. I thought A Return to Salem's Lot was going to be terrible. But it was a surprising delight, even Mm. though it is so cheaply made you know (laughs) and so nonsensical and but what it has is just absolute dedication absolute earnestness like people making that movie fucking cared and this movie people cared like yeah we've talked about this before like that's the difference between like a good bad and a a bad bad movie Mm -hmm. is yes a, a good bad movie the caring people will have blind spots let's right. say yeah. <laughs> there's some blind spots in this movie like some things that don't pan out and some continuity errors and whereas an alien it's completely perfect mm-hmm. but they wanted to make a good movie yes know? and and to be fair they made part of a really good movie there are yeah. things here i mean there are things here that are funny there are also things here that are legitimate quality that that should be recognized including the set design which yes yeah. like i mean and the computer core scene like that could this movie was made almost 25 years ago. That would still look cool today. No, no, oh, no, no, no. most of the movie still looks pretty cool. Yeah, like yeah. It, it, it has aged incredibly well. I right. would say. Yeah. All right. More, Dan. Right. More. Tell us more. Let's get to Act Three: Weir and his weird, weirding ways. <laughs> While the Lewis and Clark is being repaired, uh, Justin walks into an airlock and tries to commit suicide, saying he can't handle the dark inside. Just after he presses open, he seems to realize what he's done and sort of comes to. The airlock opens, but Miller is able to catch him and bring him back inside. He's in bad shape, but alive. The crew finds the last video log of the original Event Horizon crew, which shows them having what I can only describe as the solar system's grossest orgy, and the captain holding his eyes in his hands and warning, in Latin, save yourself from hell. At this point, and I cannot stress this enough, Anna, the funniest line reading in the entire film happens because Lawrence Fishburne, as Miller says, we're leaving. And I think I watched that three times because I laughed so hard at it. It's basically you <laughs> it see is the... You, one yeah, of the best on. line readings in film, honestly. Like, it, it is just, it's so perfect. <laughs> like, yes. just the beat of it, the expression, <laughs> everything about it just clicks, you yes. know? I don't know how many takes they did for him to get that. I'd like to think he nailed it on the first try because it's it was absolutely the right thing to say. And it's just it's priceless. I will yeah. say just to warn some people that space orgy is legit disgusting. To Anderson's credit, he pretty much sort of ru- rapidly cuts it so that you really can't figure out all that much about what's going on in the 15 seconds that you see. Not, but it's pretty gross. And not to and I don't know if this is to his credit or not, but yeah. it's part of the story behind the story. I, I want to add. Yes. He filmed 30 minutes. <laughs> like. <laughs> and he got real amputees. <laughs> oh, God. And little people. And porn actors. And some actors without teeth. The casting call for that must have been amazing. I like, try to picture like everyone waiting in line to audition for that <laughs> that scene. Also, I mean, I think as as we know, in sort of defense of Anderson, 
we talk about continuity errors and so forth. Yes. He had very little time to edit this film, apparently. Yes. And yes. one of the things I, I like to think is that he was spending so much time on the space orgy part that he the, sort of the, he forgot about the rest of everything. You know, like, you know, I, 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 I imagine the first assistant director coming up to him and saying, uh, Paul, we've got some issues with Lawrence Fishburne in this scene. Will you shut up? I am trying to cast the little people now. I'm trying to get the space orgy right. I've got to um, get the, the space bloody orgy space right. orgy. This I, is the most important scene in the film. <laughs> in, well, in some ways, it yeah, is. Fair enough. It is the bleeding heart of the movie. And also, <laughs> I will point out that this is one of the ways that you, the, the earnestness of the people yeah. who made this movie comes through. Like, fucking cared. Like, yeah. he went to great lengths to try and make the movie that, that was his vision, you know? Yes. And I'll also point out this one other thing that this movie has in common with Alien, which is that it benefited from a studio demanding it be cut. There you go. So... Not a, a ton of things in common in terms of quality, but that. <laughs> there we go. That thing. Okay. Anyway, so the crew is leaving, and as they pack up, Peter sees her son again, follows the hallucination, and falls to her death in the engine room. Weir goes to the core and hallucinates his wife again. We learn there that she committed suicide, which is why he's been so haunted, and then he gouges his eyes out as one does. Despite having no eyes, Weir is able to grab an explosive device and plant it in the Lewis and Clark. It explodes, destroying the ship, killing Smitty, and sending Cooper hurtling into space in a spacesuit. So, Anna, I'm going to confess that I know you liked Sam Neill's performance. I think I had issues with Weir even before his descent into madness. He seemed utterly fucking useless in trying to explain what happened to the event horizon. It was a, a classic combination of haughty and useless. And as an academic, I'm offended by that because that's normally <laughs> what I am. Um, so, it, it, but it did make me care a little less about his actual pain, which was real. I, again, I think he carries it off of all the complaints I have that, about this movie, which, which I do have some. That is not one of them. I also want to point out in defense of the movie, when you say he somehow finds the explosive device, even though he's gouged his eyes out, Mm -hmm. two things. The ship is seeing for him. That's true. That's made pretty clear. Mm -hmm. And also, where we're going, you don't need eyes. (laughs) There are some great lines in this movie. Mm -hmm. I do want to share one of the things I don't like about the movie, Mm -hmm. which is when Miller tells Peters to protect herself when she's down in the med bay, she mm. picks up a really scary looking surgical saw that's just lying there. Like mm. it's just, it, there, it, there's a set of like really scary looking surgical tools that are sparkling clean. And <laughs> it's just one of those things where in an alien movie, in a good, good detail, movie, in a good, good movie, someone would have thought through why would those be there? You know, and why would they be clean? Like, it'd be Mm. one thing to have the gross surgical tools there and them being clearly having been used, right? Which Mm. would sort of go, we didn't really spend a lot of time on the viscera. (laughs) No, which was, again, I I would say legitimately good. It's well done. It's disgusting viscera. And like, I it's everywhere. I watched watched this again with my wife and her reaction to the viscera was literally, oh my God, ew. Like she was, it was, yeah, it worked for her. Yeah. Yeah. So, so showing some used surgical tools would have made sense. Anyway, that's one of those things that separates good, good from, from good, bad. So Uh, 
you you critiqued it. I will add something that I actually was really impressed by that, which was sort of the reverse of a jump scare, which was. There's a very clever scene in which, before Justin goes into the airlock, in which uh, Peters is sort of pacing the sick bay. You see, you know, Justin lying on a slab. It cuts, and you know something's going to happen. I mean, you've been to enough horror movies to expect something to happen. But what happens is, is that the Justin is no longer there, and it's sort of a reverse thing that instead of something appearing that wasn't there before, something mm-hmm. disappears. And I thought that was actually very well done. Oh yeah, that I I appreciate that too. Reverse jump scare. I can't think Definitely. of another one. I'm sure they're they're out there, but it's a yeah. really well done. Yeah. I also love. I hope to talk more about the uh, labor messages in this movie <laughs> later. But I do love at one point when Miller is saying we're going to have to abandon the Lewis and Clark. Yeah. Uh, Smitty is super pissed because he just fixed it. Like. <laughs> cares about the ship that's what yeah. i'll say and it's it's a nice it's a nice little grace note he cares about his to... labor anna he yes, I mean, he, exactly you know, which is fair exactly yes, totally fair i get that i respect that okay all so. right let's close out this plot <laughs> act four hellraiser meets aliens Weir dispatches DJ in the most Hannibal Lecter way possible, and I'll just leave it at that, except to say that if Jason Isaacs wanted that thing in his house, I am not going to his house. Miller gets to the bridge, finds Stark unconscious and blind Weir at the con. Weir then exposits, explaining that the ship opened a hole in the universe, traveled to a dimension of chaos and evil, and is now alive. Miller tries to overpower him, but blind demon Weir is super strong now. Cooper, having used his spacesuit's oxygen supply to Iron Man himself back to the ship, arrives at the bridge window. Weir shoots at him, blows the window, and is sent into space by the decompression. Miller, Stark, and Cooper somehow manage to seal off the ship's bridge, and Cooper manages to get on the ship. I'm still not entirely sure how that worked, but let's just go with it. They decide to separate the ship by exploding the transverse and destroying the engine, and they would then use the the life quarters as a sort of buoy. An explosion of blood lifted straight from The Shining does slow them down, however. Miller goes to the core and resists hallucinations, uh, trying to stop him. Then the ship somehow resurrects a very scarred, Clive Barker-esque weir. They fight, but Miller is able to detonate the transverse. 72 days later, Justin, Cooper, and Stark are rescued, but I think it's safe to say that the survivors will be coping with PTSD for some time to come. Anna, what scared you the most about this film this time around? As the first time watching it, I think for me it was Justin going out of the airlock. Um, I can't remember the actor's name, but he really does project the the horror as he realizes what is about to happen to his body. Yeah, I think that's very scary. I, I think the movie is so dread-filled. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's one of the reasons I think it's comfort horror in a weird way. Because <laughs> I know this makes no sense to most people, but it's an uncomfortable movie, right? Like mm-hmm. there's always a sense of something about to happen. There are few and far between jump scares. It it, yeah. it There's the reverse jump scare. There's some gross stuff. But what this movie excels at is that sense of dread, that sense of mounting horror. And, and also, that's what happens with that scene too. And tension, by the way. Like, even in the first scenes of the movie, which are not scary, like, the opening credits are tense. (laughs) They're weird as hell, but they're tense. And, like, you know, the first couple scenes, tense. You're you're feeling the tension. I will also say that Pinhead Weir uh, Mm. is super fucking creepy. And sometimes pastiche can, you know, achieve greater things than the original. (laughs) (laughs) I... Pinhead maybe is such a cliche that, you know, it's hard to be scared by Pinhead anymore. I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of those movies. Yeah. Um, but I find Sam Neill in that last scene to be 
very scary and creepy. Yeah. I want to point out again how good Lawrence Fishburne is mm-hmm. in this movie. He sells everything. Like yeah. the the captain going down with the ship is is obviously a cliche. Sometimes I think it's such a cliche they just sort of posit that of course a captain's going to do that. You know, like this character is going to do that. You knew he was going to go down with the ship. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. It is completely believable. Everything about this character, it is not a decision that he has to to maul. You know, like he is going to do that. I will also say it's a pretty good ambiguous ending. You know, as far as ambiguous endings go, I don't like the endings where it's like, clear that the monster has been resurrected, you know, mm-hmm. and it's just a total fake out. Right. I much prefer. I don't really know what happened. Anyways. Is it the lady or the tiger? Yes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I also will say that, you know, it, it shouldn't matter. But this is a movie in which uh, two people of color are heroes. And also one of them manages to make it to the end of the horror movie, <laughs> which historically has not always been the case in american horror films mm-hmm. now thank god that you know we have a, a much wider palette mm-hmm. of movies to see but uh, at the time i think that was probably pretty rare yes uh, dan anna is there ir in this movie anna there's a lot of things going on around here in this film that i don't completely understand and one of those things is whether there's any international relations in this film <laughs> maybe, maybe at the margins. So the whole debate about whether it's a good idea to attempt to contact other civilizations is one that has gone on on Earth for, for some time. Stephen Hawking, you know, before his passing, pointed out that he didn't think it was, that was, it was a great idea. I would say that it, in some ways it's a fake out in this case because it, the original mission wasn't to contact other civilizations or chaotic dimensions that just sort of happened by accident. So I'm not really sure that works. I will say that, again, and I know it's almost cheating trying to pick uh, plot holes in a Paul W.S. Anderson film because no Paul W.S. <laughs> Anderson film has a tight plot. Uh, but one of the more implausible elements of the plot was that the government would send a random rescue ship to investigate what the NSA calls a code black. First of all, to be clear, I don't think there is such a thing as code black, actually, but just go with that. Um, okay. But whatever the fuck it is, if the purpose of the event horizon was that classified. And yeah, I would say the gravity drive, given what was supposed to happen, is pretty classified. The rescue would also need to be classified as well. And presumably, it wasn't. this wasn't a case where like they would have sent a rescue ship expecting, oh, it's not going to succeed, so it doesn't matter. They're, they're expendable. They need the data, if nothing else. They're sending the guy who designed the damn ship. Presumably, they want people to survive. In which case, those people know things, and you therefore only want to send people that are within the NSA. That's the part that made zero sense to me at all. Well, also, maybe, like, you send SEAL Team 6 and not, like, what appears to be, like, a fairly, you know, work-a-day crew. Right, a competent crew. I I don't mean to... (laughs) They're totally competent. I'm not begrudging the Lewis and Clark in terms of competency. It's it For me, it's literally their classification. Like, do they have, like, you know top secret SCI clearance or whatever the Q hell they clearance, would have clearance, Dan? Are you asking if they have Q clearance? Q uh, yes, exactly. Clearance? Q, there we go. There we go. And I don't think they do. <laughs> so I'm just saying that part made no sense to me, which sort of gets at the level of international relations that this film deals with. This film is good in many ways. It is not good in the international relations department. But Anna? Dan? Did you find a way to point out the evils of capitalism in this film? Dan? Yes. I am home. (laughs) 
<laughs> which might be Weir's creepiest line in the entire film. It is so good. It is so good. <laughs> I think this movie has a lot to say about capitalism. I will say the fact that it was not a success in itself, to me, speaks badly of capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, market! <laughs> Damn you! And and though I said earlier that sometimes pastiche can be can succeed beyond the the level of the original, the mix of source material here is something that Adorno, our pal Adorno, would probably uh, not be surprised by. No. and demo- and bemoan because it's not original, right? Mm-hmm. But. This movie picks up a big thing from Alien besides the basic plot, which is that Mm -hmm. the crew is distinctly working class, right? Mm -hmm. And obviously, Weir is management. Yes. (laughs) His explanation for why things are the way they are is opaque. Mm -hmm. And when the crew organizes against him, he resorts to violence in order to continue (laughs) to extract their labor. And he does objectify, you know, the the labor. There's no denying that. Yes. That's true. Uh, the crew then seizes the means of production in order to <laughs> defeat him. But then, as I said about the ambiguous ending, capitalism reemerges again. Unkillable. Eternal. Hell, you might say. <laughs> Hold on, I have to drop this mic. Oh. You have to what this mic? I have to drop this mic. Oh, okay. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good mic drop moment on it. I, I, I admire that. And actually, let me put it this way. I, I will add that I actually really legitimately like that interpretation because it makes Weir more understandable to me. As I said, I wasn't thrilled with Sam Neill's performance in the first half of this film, but I actually think in some ways that adds something to it that makes it makes it consistent, I guess would be the way to put it. Although, again, it makes it hard to feel sorry for him because one of the big plot reveals is why he is so haunted. And that should be affecting. And I don't think it really it wasn't terribly, I guess, but at least not. for I I like to think, again, my read of the movie is that he did sell his soul. And actually, this some capitalism message here. Uh, He was too involved in his work. He let (laughs) himself be defined by his work. Um, And we all sell our souls in that way sometimes. Yeah. I, I dropped the mic earlier, but now it seems to be hitting now really, Oh my god! It's debris! It's debris, Anna! Debris! Uh, it's debris from the event horizon. <laughs> this is where we talk about things that we didn't get to talk about earlier. We've talked about an awful lot, Dan, but do you have anything to add? I have a few things. Uh, mostly, again, those sort of small details that separate a good, good film from a good, bad film. So... In the very beginning of the film, we find out Weir is claustrophobic. That seems like a really big problem before you decide to put him on a tin can in space. I'm just saying. Also, it never comes up again. <laughs> yes, it never comes up. So, like, you know, I don't even know why you had to say it. wasn't necessary. You didn't have to say he was claustrophobic. Like, that didn't have to be in the movie. It's not really an essential piece. But if you're going to say it, again, it's, it's, you know, Chekhov's fear that does not manifest itself again. It makes no sense. Also, again, not their fault because of when this movie was made, but apparently they're using CD-ROMs in 2047 to record logs. I, I find that slightly implausible. And I will close by noting that that as cheesy as some of this film is, and as you point out, the best parts of this film are the supernatural ones. They don't really talk about the, the sort of hard sci-fi all that much. Interstellar basically ripped off 
the scene in this film where Weir describes the gravity drive, where he takes the piece of paper and like puts a, a, a pen through the uh, through it. And so I like the idea that this film, which is a pastiche, as you say, of other films, winds up becoming part of, you know, a, a greater film or what is considered a better film. All right. I have some stuff, mostly very small things. One is we see Weir shaving with a straight edge razor at the beginning of the film. And it did. It comes up again. And it did prompt me to think, though, is there, has there ever been a straight edge razor in a film that does not come up again? That's like just someone using a straight edge razor. You know, you know? Another, like, so, does anyone just use a straight edge razor? It doesn't later become a suicide, you know, vehicle or or someone cuts themselves because of some evil thing making them cut themselves. I mean, they're inherently scary. It's true. I, I have two things to point out here. The first is, is that this movie actually contains a lot of those things of like something that you yeah. see that does not recur, which in some ways can be slyly like subversive in some ways but but there are other things where you want to see the delivery but i think more important speaking as a man no one shaves with a straight razor yeah right you know right it is horrible to shave with a straight razor it's really fucking dangerous you know there are lots of easier ways to shave your face pretty close without needing the straight razor and for the love of god why would you do it in zero g that or or like why would you do it in space that just (laughs) makes no sense to me and like i get the the horror element so that's fine but like again Men do not shave with straight razors anymore. Sort of speaking of anachronisms, I'm always amused when cigarettes still exist uh, in the future. (laughs) I mean, sometimes I think, well, maybe they've just solved cancer. You know, (laughs) that could be one reason. Uh, And speaking of knives, (laughs) we did not mention this when we were uh, going on about how great the set design is. But there is a set (laughs) in the movie where in order to get to the super creepy engine uh, room, you have to go through a super creepy tunnel where you're surrounded by rotating knives. And there is a hand wavy Uh, magnetic (laughs) knives and there's a hand wavy explanation for this, although uh, that is a. A, a fail again you see something really creepy and it never comes up again <laughs> if you find that magnetic knife tunnel cool just appreciate it when you see it because no one's going to get hurt <laughs> however yes it was the inspiration for the galaxy quest chomper scene oh the pointless pointless dangerous piece <laughs> of a ship like a piece like a part of a ship that's pointlessly fatal <laughs> I have to say, I like the meta thing, because in in Galaxy Quest, if you remember, it's Sigourney Weaver's character who says, you know, this makes no sense. This show is badly written. And and so I do like the idea of Sigourney Weaver commenting on something inspired by a film that was inspired by her breakout role. Yes. You know, culture is constantly manufactured. There you go. And And yes. I will also say, we mentioned, the film is 90 minutes long. Mm-hmm. It's just, it never happens much anymore. I'm always kind of looking at, at film times now and mm-hmm. being like, all right, I guess I'm going to have to plan for dinner before, you know? <laughs> like, I mean, I loved Dune. I did. Mm-hmm. It is a very long movie. It's a long it, film. You know, yeah. it, we maybe need to get back to having intermissions, you know? Maybe. So I I watched Eternals recently, and I would have said the same thing. Like, very pretty to look at. Not the best film, but mostly what I thought was that it was long. I think that's about all we have to say about Event Horizon. If you have not seen it, I am sorry for any spoilers, but you should see it. It's available on HBO Max. It's available on HBO Max, and it is just a ton of fun. Mm -hmm. And I'm really glad that you enjoyed it, Dan. It's it's, it's a pleasure (laughs) to, like, introduce someone to this movie because although it has a cult following, I I think 
The Ringer listed it recently on a, you know, a 25 movies that are secretly good or something like that. It doesn't have the following it deserves. A lot of people just know, have heard of it only in that, oh, I, it's bad. Right. You know? Yeah. So it is a treat to, to turn someone on to it. So I'm thank you, Anna. And, it, and to be clear, it is not a bad film. It There are bad elements of it, but it is not a bad film. And that's about it for the show. Uh, again, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash space the nation. You can find me on Twitter at, at Anna Marie Cox. He is at Dan Dresner. We would like to thank Karen for editing the show. Uh, she does get paid. That is what all of your money goes to, by the way. Literally, every yes. single every amount. Single cent. <laughs> every single cent of, of the money you give us goes into production uh, so that you can enjoy the show without being like, man, this sounds shitty. Mm-hmm. And that is thanks to Karen. We have upcoming The Last Policeman, which will fulfill our sci-fi noir quota for mm-hmm. the month. Um, we're getting back to The Expanse. And then we're almost a year into this show, Dan. Can you believe it? Wow. Yeah, a That's year. Cool. Yeah. We'll have to do some kind of celebration. We have to have an anniversary show, yeah. <laughs> we should definitely do an anniversary show. Maybe we'll, we'll have the patrons involved in some way. There we go. But until then, Dan? Keep this channel open for more. <laughs>